are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Today's reading is from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 16 through 39. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God, the Lord. Jeff, thanks so much for reading scripture for us this morning. We are so blessed to have Megan and Jeff with us serving at the Y Church. Esther and I celebrated our anniversary this week, had a chance to go out and celebrate 16 years of marriage. We were married in her home country of Germany in 2004. And when I think about one of the best phone calls of my life, it has to be calling home to tell my parents that we were officially engaged. I was living in Germany at the time, studying theology, and I took Esther out to a nice Greek restaurant that had the fanciest food I had seen in a long time as a poor grad student. And then later that evening, I proposed, she said yes, and we called our parents to share the news. Esther's brother actually took this photo right when we called home to my parents. So this is that moment that I remember so fondly. My apologies, you can see my messy dorm room in the background. And you can also see that it was one of those old-fashioned telephones with the curly cord. (laughs) That's a while ago now. We're going to look at a story in Scripture today that is all about making a different kind of call. There's lots of language in this passage today about calling and answering. And I want to invite you to ask yourself today, who am I calling on? When it comes right down to it in my own life, who am I calling on? Where am I looking for answers? In 2020, with all of its uncertainty, do I have clarity about who I am calling and who is answering? These are the things that we want to be thinking about today. Last week, we started into this new message series called A Double Portion, Elijah and Elisha. And we're going to spend the first half of the summer here in their stories in First and Second Kings. So we got started last week, and I introduced you to the prophet Elijah. I'd just like to recap a few of those things here as we prepare to get into chapter 18 today. Elijah's name, we said last week, means my God is Yahweh. And we described last week how Yahweh, a term you you might not be familiar with, is the personal name of God that is used in the Old Testament. I am who I am is what it means, Yahweh. And it's used 6,828 times in the original Hebrew. Now, many of our translations translate it as Lord the word LORD in all caps. You can watch for that as you read in the Old Testament. But the actual word there is Yahweh, the name of God. And so Elijah's name is a bold declaration of faith. My God is Yahweh. And Elijah was a prophet of Yahweh in Israel. This is about a hundred years after David was king over the full united kingdom of Israel. But really since David, things have gone mostly downhill. The people have not been following God, really quite the opposite. 
The country is in moral disarray. There is injustice and corruption, the worship of idols and false gods. And along the way, pretty soon after David, actually, the kingdom split into two and you have a northern half and a southern half. And at this time of the story, there's an evil king ruling in the north and his name is Ahab. Ahab had married the infamous Jezebel and introduced Israel to the worship of Baal. So more about Baal in a minute. But for 50 years, this crisis around Baal worship would plague the nation of Israel. In fact, it occupies 17 chapters of Kings. So that's what's going on when Elijah appeared on the scene in chapter 17. And he brings this word of judgment to Ahab. Like he's coming to Ahab and saying, enough is enough. God is going to get your attention, Ahab, whether you are interested or not. And so Elijah shows up on the scene and he says, Ahab, as surely as the Lord lives, it's not going to rain in the land for however long until I say so. There's not even going to be a drop of dew on the ground. And with that, Elijah hightails it out of there because, you know, Ahab really didn't like that message and would just as soon take Elijah out. And that's what took us into those stories last week. God takes care of Elijah through this brook and ravens who are delivering food. It's quite the story. And then through the widow in Zarephath, way up in the north. And all that takes us to chapter 18. It's now three years since Elijah made that announcement to Ahab. And as he said, it has not rained a drop in Israel the entire time. And I want you to just imagine looking out your window and what it would look like out there if it had not rained at all for three years. The land was suffering under this drought. Now, I mentioned last week that this part about the rain, this weather forecast that Elijah gave in chapter 17, is really quite significant. And now this week, I get to tell you why. It's because Baal, the god of Jezebel and her people, the Phoenicians, the god who Ahab brought by marriage into Israel, Baal was considered the storm god. It was Baal who was responsible for the rain. Well, now it hasn't rained for three years, like Elijah said. And Ahab's mad as a hornet, and he has spent these three years trying to hunt down Elijah, searching for him all across the land with no luck. And then we have this showdown that happens in chapter 18. Elijah comes out of hiding and appears before Ahab in verse 17 of the text. Ahab is seeing him for the first time in three years, and he says with disgust, I almost have to read this with like a gravelly voice, you know. He says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And I just imagine it's like a Wild West showdown. They've stepped out into the town square. And Elijah looks at him and answers back. He says, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I would call those fighting words. I mean, it is time to settle this thing and the duel is set. Now the location also happens to be really significant. 
Mount Carmel was called the Mountain of Baal. It was in the heart of Baal country. And gods in the ancient Near East were said to control certain geographic areas. So gods would exercise their power, their sovereignty over certain territory. And so Elijah sets up this showdown, we have to see, on Baal's home turf, where Baal should have a clear home field advantage. So Ahab gladly summons all the people of Israel to see this happen. And they show up at Mount Carmel, and then look at what Elijah says to them in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord, that's Yahweh, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. That word there, to waver, literally means to limp. It is a word used to describe limping, hobbling, or lameness. And scholars believe there might even be this linguistic connection to walking with crutches. Have you ever had to walk with crutches before? It is not fun. There's a lot of hobbling going on if you are having to use crutches. And so another Hebrew reading of the text might go something like this. How long will you hobble around on crutches? How long will you limp between two opinions? You see, the people of Israel couldn't make up their minds. Were they the people of God or the people of Baal? They didn't know who they were. Elijah wants to know, who are you calling on? Are you following Baal or Yahweh? And he asks them that pointed question. And then look what it says at the end of the verse. It's a stunning line. But the people said nothing. And I wonder, what would our people say? Who are we calling on in this country, in our time, in this year? That line from Psalm 46 has come to my mind frequently over recent months. Nations are in uproar, it says. And yes, they certainly are, aren't they? Including our own. There was a Gallup poll released just last Wednesday that simply asked the question, do you think the country is headed in the right direction? Probably not to your surprise, a significant majority of people said no. It feels like we're off track. And I wonder if we even know where we're going. Does it not feel like we're somehow collectively limping and hobbling around? Who are we calling on? Who are we following? As much as we need to be asking that as a nation, we also just recognize that it starts with ourselves. There's that song that is sung at Christmas sometimes, Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. You know, so the world news aside, who are you calling on? Forget everybody else for a second. Who are you following today? Have you made up your mind? And we're going to return to those questions again in a bit. Now in the text, Elijah sets up the contest. The 450 prophets of Baal get a bull, and Elijah gets a bull. And they're going to each have a chance to make an altar and prepare a sacrifice there on the top of Mount Carmel. They'll put the stakes on the grill, so to speak, 
They're going to put the pieces of meat laid out upon the wood on the top of the altar, but they won't light it. They won't light it. Rather, Elijah says in verse 24, he says to those prophets of Baal, then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, the God who answers by fire. He is God. So the prophets of Baal get to work. There's 450 of them. (laughs) Probably didn't take too long. They prepare the bowl, they build the altar, and then they start calling out on the name of Baal, that Baal would light the fire. Now, really, this shouldn't be too hard. I mean, Baal is the storm god, after all. He controls the lightning. And so surely, if you need to start a fire on the top of a mountain in the heart of Baal country, you know, then a little flash of lightning, a little fire isn't going to be too hard for Baal. But somehow it seems to be taking a while. It says from morning till noon, they're at it, calling on the name of Baal. And they're saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no answer, the text says. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. Now, hold on right there, because we could almost miss something that is written right into the text. When it says they danced around the altar, guess what word that is for dance? It's the word limp. It's the same word that was used in verse 21. It it actually only shows up three times in the whole Bible. This, This is significant. How long will you limp between two opinions, Elijah had asked, and here they are, these prophets of Baal, limping around Baal's altar in some kind of contorted dance. And I think this is God's way of taking a highlighter and saying, pay attention. Don't be limping. Well, at this point in the story, it's lunchtime, and Elijah is getting restless. What we have here is really classic Elijah. I mean, he's kind of, you get the impression in his stories, he's kind of an in-your-face guy, and probably not one who would have worked real well in the customer service industry. So Elijah starts to taunt the prophets of Baal. Shout louder, he says. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. See him just mocking the prophets of Baal. And my kids love this part of the story because it's where instead of actually saying he's busy, it says, well, it says basically perhaps he's on the can. In the very next one where it says he's traveling, it actually means maybe he's taken a trip to the John. So I know it's bathroom humor in the Bible, but uh, leave it to Elijah. But Elijah's really got their goat now as he mocks them and taunts them. And he adds this. He says, maybe Baal is sleeping and must be awakened. And all of these human functions are being ascribed to Baal. And this last one is very much in line, actually, with what people actually believed about Baal, that when the normal dry season came each year, so this is, you know, the three-year drought aside, but in the normal cycle of the year, they thought when it was the dry season, Baal had actually descended to the underworld where he would sleep in death, so to speak, under the power of the god Moat. And then whenever it would start to rain again, They had said that, okay, now Baal had been released from moat and come back to the surface of the earth to bring rain. All this to say, this suggestion from Elijah really gets the prophets of Baal riled up even more. 
And so we see in the story, now they're slashing themselves with swords and spears, and they're shouting even louder. And what this was, was an attempt to get the attention of those other gods in the underworld and gain their sympathy in a sense, so that they would finally release Baal. And isn't that interesting that here are these prophets, note this, vicariously suffering and bleeding for their God. Where with Yahweh, it will be the exact opposite, won't it? He will send his own son to suffer vicariously for the sake of his people and shed his blood on the cross for us. I mean, only the real God does atonement. But that's another sermon for another day. We just wanted to pick up on that briefly. In our story, the prophets of Baal, they're at this all day long. They exhaust and injure themselves trying to get Baal to answer, but to no avail. It says again, we've heard this already in verse 29, there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then in the evening, it is finally Elijah's turn. So the 450 prophets of Baal step aside. And Elijah, just look and see how different this scene is. Elijah calls the people to come in close, almost like a teacher about to show the class a really important lesson. And he takes 12 stones that symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, and he rebuilds the altar. And all this covenant language gets used here, and it's like Elijah is trying to say to the people, remember who you are. Remember your story. And then it gets really interesting as Elijah digs a trench around the altar. They didn't see that coming. You know, he has the people then bring four big containers of water and dump it over the top of the wood on the altar. And then he says, do it again. They bring a second round. And he says, do it again. And they bring a third round until they've put so much water over that altar and over the wood that it's filled the trench that he dug at the bottom. I don't know if you've ever forgotten to cover up your log pile and you tried to make a fire on wood that had been soaked by the rain overnight or something, but it is no fun. I mean, it's certainly not going to spontaneously combust like they need it to here. But that's the point. Elijah is going to show as clearly as possible who the real God is. So he douses the whole thing with water. And then he calls on the name of the Lord with a very simple prayer. Remember how this contrasts, all this frantic hollering and the slashing of Baal's prophets. And and here's Elijah, and it says in verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. It is that easy. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. And then verse 37, I think it's the main point of the whole story. Answer me, Lord, he says, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So what is the point of all this? What is the purpose of this story? It's so the people will know two things. That the Lord is God and that he is turning their hearts 
back to him. And as soon as Elijah says this, fire falls from heaven. And not just in a way that, you know, ignites the wood like a little gas fireplace, but it just incinerates this whole thing. It's an exclamation point. The wood, the meat, the stones, the dirt, even the water that has collected down there in the trench is is gone. It is such a dramatic display of God's power that the people fall flat on their faces on the ground and they finally answer the question. Remember, Elijah had asked them earlier and they said nothing, but now they are crying out for their lives and they're saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, Yahweh, he is God. Baal has been KO'd, knocked out. But then again, of course he has. He's not a God to begin with. There is only one. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, from Yahweh, maker of heaven and earth. You see, there's no geographical territory that he does not control. He's the maker of heaven and earth, and it is all his. These petty false gods have nothing. I wish we had time to finish 1 Kings 18 today. You know, we had to kind of clip the reading just to to get through it with the time available. But I encourage you to read the rest of it on your own. But I do want to give you a little sneak peek of what happens at the end. At the very end of the chapter, what do you think happens for the first time in three years? It rains. It rains. Jeremiah was the one who said this. Are there any among the idols of the nations who give rain? Or can the heavens grant showers? Is it not you, O Lord, our God? Therefore, we hope in you, for you are the one who has done all these things. My brothers and sisters, the Lord has done all these things for two reasons. So we would know that he is God. And so our hearts would turn back to him. That if any of us has been wavering or undecided or limping, limping between two opinions, that we would finally say in our life, enough is enough. I am done hobbling around. I will follow Jesus. But it's so hard to give up the crutches sometimes, isn't it? There is a battle going on for your heart and soul. And one of the enemy's best tactics is to keep you bouncing around, forever undecided, uncommitted, undetermined. How many times have you been driving down the road and up ahead on the road you see a squirrel trying to figure out where to go? And he shuffles a little bit to the left and then back a little bit to the right. And the whole time you're bearing down on this squirrel, getting closer and closer, and you might even start saying in your car, go squirrel, go, just make up your mind. And hopefully he does, because if the squirrel remains undecided, it might very well have a life-changing encounter with your car. But I recognize that's me sometimes. I know about Yahweh. 
I know about the Lord, but there are voices that try to drown him out. There are voices around us that can be so confusing and so distracting. And maybe we don't have idols quite in the way that they did, but I sure know what it means to limp around with other priorities and to call the wrong number. The story makes it clear. The Lord has done all these things so that you can know that he is God and that he is turning your heart even now back to him. He's done all that needs to be done. You just have to make the call. And he will answer with the fire of his spirit and the power of his love that he has poured out for you in Christ. Will you pray with me? Let's just pray a simple prayer. Come before the Lord like Elijah did. Lord God, Yahweh, the great I am, you alone are God. And I give all of my allegiance to you. Lord, I ask that you would take my crutches, take my wavering, and replace it with a confident walk as I follow you. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.